This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Renee Gorham, President, CEO, and Chairman of Bioscient, a publicly traded company. The symbol is RX on the TSX Venture. Bioscient is a specialty pharmaceutical company focused on commercializing products that the company says provides a distinguishable benefit to patients and their healthcare providers, and according to their website, is known for their ability to effectively and efficiently introduce new products to the Canadian market. Bioscient is, as the company states on their website, actively sought out as the Canadian market provider of choice by brand innovators with niche or specialty products looking for a trusted partner. The first time we interviewed Renee was back in June 2013. At the beginning of June 2013, the stock was trading around $1.30 Canadian. And as of recording this introduction in the morning of September 15, 2023, the stock uh, opened at around $7.85 Canadian. Furthermore, as of Q2 2023, the company has reported 52 consecutive profitable quarters, again, according to their Q2 2023 results presentation. Many of you listening know the bioscience story well, and yet despite the company's performance during Renee's tenure, I think some of you would agree that bioscience is the most well-known, unknown company. I thought it was time for folks that didn't know the company's history and where they're going to invite Renee on to talk about all of that, plus their capital allocation, discipline, and approach, criteria for in-licensing new products, and Renee's promised land, his long-term vision for Biosigned. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Renee Gorham, President, CEO, and Chairman of Biosigned. Renee, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Great to be with you today, Bobby. It's great to be with you too. This was, uh, you know, doing an interview with you for this series is definitely one of my white whales because, you know, whenever I think of bioscience, especially in our microcap circles, you know, within all the folks that we know in our space, you know, I, I always, I always think whenever I think of bioscience, it's always, it's like the most well-known unknown company ever, <laughs> if you if you know what I mean, you know, it's it's just so, you know. I say all that because, you know, as we do on the show, the first question I always ask everybody on here is, you know, Renee, can you start us off with that one line that best describes Biosign? Sure. Uh, We're a Canada-based specialty pharmaceutical company, primarily focused on commercializing innovative, unique and differentiated uh, pharmaceutical assets in the Canadian market. That's, That's our business. Very good. All right, so let's take a look back at the bioscience history. You know, can you give us a little background on when the company was founded, what the original thesis was, and then we'll start there, and then we'll we'll catch ourselves up here. Sure. Um, you know, bioscience history is interesting. We we started on the on the older uh, junior exchanges that were more focused on uh, on mining. I think that's when the corporate entity was created. So it goes literally, it goes back decades. Say that's that's not necessarily the, the length of my involvement in the company. At some point in time, about 25, a little over 25 years ago, it uh, it was revived 
uh, as a as an R and D shop for agricultural technology opportunities, and um, and so that was how the company itself was founded. So if you kind of look at back at corporate records, uh, you'll see that it goes back many decades. I'd say the more recent history then of, of Bioscient goes back around 25 years. We were a uh, we were commercializing those ag tech assets. I got involved in the business uh, around that time and uh, saw more opportunity in human health than in crop health or in maintaining a value in, in harvested crops. So we, we um, uh, had observed some success stories in the Canadian marketplace with uh, essentially an in-licensing strategy. So we are, are uh, not a developer of pharmaceutical products. We look for assets that are proven and effective that have been commercialized or approved in other jurisdictions. And we in-license those assets for the Canadian market and then commercialize them. So we're not a virtual shop. We actually have boots on the ground, people in the street meeting with customers uh, every day. And so the thesis was that there were these products that could, could address an unmet medical need that were not available in Canada. And often those products would be too small for uh, existing Canadian pharmaceutical companies, typically the, the subs of multinationals that, you know, big pharma. Uh, is obviously present here. And then there was a, a cohort of R&D uh, companies that were taking technology, often is developed in universities and in university settings that spun out of those universities and a lot of, kind of R&D, the typical, what you think of as a biotech investment. So our our role and our thesis is kind of, is in between that. We don't develop the drug, but we don't also spend a lot in further development and and evolution of those assets. We look for products that are essentially not big enough to be of interest to big pharma, uh, but that will address an unmet need and fulfill a need that either a doc or a healthcare professional has with their patients or with the patients themselves or consumers. Some of our products are quasi-consumer healthcare as well. Absolutely. And for those who are watching the video version of this, uh, uh, Renee's background has literally the names of all their different products that they have uh, within the Bioscient uh, company. So, you know, Renee, going to your background with the company and, and coming into all this, you know, we were literally just talking about this before we, we pressed record about how you've been at the company now for about 26 years. And I think you were brought in to do something completely different. So, I mean, when you when you when you kind of took the helm and you steered the ship to say okay this is our new direction what gave you the confidence and what kind of experience did you have to say okay yeah I might have been brought in to do this but now we're going to go here and do it like this actually it's interesting Bobby we've ended up at a place where I'm I'm much better suited than I was to my first introduction to the company so I I had a, a background in consumer products marketing. And uh, I had been with Procter & Gamble earlier in my career. And so I had a lot of experience in consumer products and distributing products through retail channels. Um, and I had done some work uh, after that experience uh, in pr providing marketing and sales services, uh, agency type work for larger pharmaceutical companies. So that was my kind of entree to pharma com combined with um, fast moving consumer goods, brand building experience. Uh, I sold that that business and had already been an investor in what is now Bioscient. I'd been an investor in the company. I uh, 
provided some assistance to them, some advice on an informal basis. I was asked to join the board, uh, which I did um, when I was still running my other business. And then I sold that other business. And then I was asked to get more involved in, in what is now Bioscience. So I invested in the company at that time. I uh, helped them raise some money. And um, and then eventually the board asked me to, to, uh, to take responsibility to lead the business. And at that time, I pivoted out of ag tech where I was, it wasn't really about whether I was suited or not. It was really about the assets that we had, the, um, the pathway to commercialization and opportunities for financing such a business. And I just did not see how that was going to work for the shareholders of the company. And uh, I made the recommendation that we pivot to human health. And so that's what we did. We actually rebranded the company and uh, we've spent now the last 15 years or so uh, building that business in the pharmaceutical industry. Absolutely. So let's talk about, you know, the, because if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, of all the products, the main, the breakthrough one that kind of put Bioscient on the map and was kind of that initial revenue driver, you know, help grow revenues and, and really grow the awareness of the company it was Ferramax, right? Correct. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, that first breakthrough product and what that experience was like? Sure. Uh, we, we were approached kind of early in, in our process of establishing a presence as a pharmaceutical business. We were, we were approached with uh, what is the, the, the first generation compound that, it, that has now become Ferramax. We, uh, we took that on. We created the Ferramax brand. And you know, started the process of brand building. The the oral iron uh, supplement market uh, was traditionally a very ignored market. Uh, there was not a lot of uh, promotion. Uh, healthcare professionals actually don't get a lot of education in medical school. A doctor, like it's you know, we joke it's uh, 45 minutes on a Tuesday morning in the second year of med school. It just does not get a lot of time and attention as it as it should. Iron health is, is really a, an important uh, part of, of the health of, of humans, of all of us. Um, and so we engaged with that product, but we literally bootstrapped. I mean, we were a, um, you know, when we were an ag tech company, we were teetering on being out of business. We were out of dough. There was nothing there that was financeable, really. Uh, I had a large shareholder lend us some money, totally secured against the whatever meager assets were in the business. So we essentially bootstrapped the business, and as we built uh, the Ferramax brand and started getting some early success with it, we reinvested uh, continually in building resources and building the brand. So that was kind of the start of it. It was a tough sliding at the time because Canada was going through a change in the regulatory environment of how Health Canada, which is the equivalent of the FDA in the U.S., how they regulated uh, that the, this segment of healthcare products that Ferramax now falls into. So they were switching that over and it was a somewhat un, uneven playing field for a new participant. So it took us a while to get the product approved and then to get traction in the marketplace. And then, uh, and then when we did, then it went, uh, then it was at the beginning, it was quite a hockey stick. You know, for those that aren't aware, you know, because I mean, most folks, you know, that are listening to this probably have some idea of the, the FDA approval process and all the clinical trials and the time it takes for yeah. some of those products to, to, you know, actually become commercially available. You know, can you juxtapose that process with what it's like 
to take a product from R&D to commercialization through Health Canada? Yeah, it, it's very it's very similar. Uh, you, you've got to demonstrate um, efficacy, safety, and that you've got a, a, a manufacturing process that can allow replication of quality. Essentially, those are the key elements of pharmaceutical products. So, and, and in Canada, it, it would it would not be dramatically different. Now, it, it's interesting just because a product is approved in the U.S. doesn't mean it necessarily gets approved in Canada, uh, and vice versa. We we have seen uh, instances of that. I would say that that are more historical in nature. I, I would say today, um, when you when you have a dossier that has all of the supporting uh, evidence, uh, clinical trial and whatnot that can demonstrate efficacy, that uh, that that data will will be sufficient for the FDA and for healthcare. Um, so that, that part of the process is the same. They are obviously um, their own organisms and bodies and uh, issues and priorities. And uh, in that regard, you know, I, I think they're, they're from time to time, I, you know, I, my observation is that Health Canada has not resourced themselves adequately across all of the spectrum of products that they regulate. And so that has certainly caused uh, time delays. And when we've had products in, in front of Health Canada, I, I think from time to time that's been an issue and they've acknowledged it and they, they're trying to make some changes in terms of uh, the fee structure so that they can take those fees and then adequately resource so that they can um, evaluate products to see whether they are appropriate for the Canadian. For sure. But long story short, it tends to be a lot less of a, of a timeline from R&D to commercialization throughout Canada versus FDA. Just trying to paint the picture for folks that are like, okay, like why why focus just on Canada right now versus like trying oh, to, I see. you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. The, the focus on Canada is not so much about regulatory environment. I think it's really about opportunity and, and knowing where we Knowing the markets that we know that we can succeed in, and that we don't we don't really need to stretch into the U.S. market uh, to drive value for our shareholders in our business. There is a lot of opportunity in the Canadian market. That's obviously not, not to say never. I'm I'm uh, experienced enough to never say never. At this stage, we think that there's sufficient uh, growth opportunity in terms of unmet medical needs, products that can address those, that give us a long runway of uh, growth in terms of both the existing portfolio of products, which we've just recently added to, but also other opportunities for the Canadian market. So we are, you know, obviously we're not nearly the size of the U.S. pharmaceutical and healthcare market, tiny fraction of it, but it is still a very large market. We're a top 10 pharmaceutical market in the world. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit also here about, and you mentioned some of the criteria that you're looking for when, you know, especially originally when, you know, Faramax was kind of like the flagship uh, at that time. And, you know, I've interviewed a number of, I guess you would describe yourselves as a specialty pharma company. I've, I've you know, since my first interaction with you, you know, I've interviewed a number of them now since. And so, you know, as you've kind of grown and gotten to the place where you're at, you know, do you still have some of that same criteria in the sense that, all right, we'll look at a potential product, you know, maybe a little earlier on in its R&D or later on, or, you know, we'd rather have it approved before we want to engage and maybe bring it under the umbrella. Like what's, what's been your thought process as the company's grown? 
Yeah, I, I'd say, you know, it's evolved. Uh, for sure, the criteria that we use today is different than it would have been 15 years ago when, at the outset of our pharmaceutical business. Um, one, one thing for sure is the size of the opportunities. One of the things that we do, um, there, there's a number of things we do to assess opportunities. One of them is to put into focus what we think the size of the opportunity is. So what is the disease state? Uh, what are the current therapies that are available in that disease state? Are the, the current therapies meeting the needs, et cetera, et cetera. So we put dimension there. What, what, what would our share of voice be in that market, competitive landscape? And then what, uh, what do we think about pricing? Uh, will it be a regulated price or a non-regulated price? And uh, so that then all sums up to a peak penetration value in sometime in the future after, well, well, well after launching the product. And I'd say, you know, as you could appreciate, we've gone upstream from that, from what was, you know, a product that would have been of interest 10 years ago, five years ago, probably is not a product of interest this year. So we've taken our expectation for size of assets, size of opportunity, we've taken that up. Um, and, you know, we will still look at niche products where they fit with a, an existing a call target that we have. So if there's a doctor type that we're already ca calling on, a specialist, for example, and this new opportunity, a new asset would fit within that call universe, and therefore we can use an existing sales force or sales team, then, you know, our expectation for the size of our opportunity might, um, might be a little bit more modest than if we had to go into a new therapeutic class. As an example, I would say we stuck, we've stuck to our knitting around um, around the economics, like it's got to be a win-win uh, deal. Our partners, the, the people from whom we source those assets and we've got to come to an, uh, an arrangement, they'll know what, what wins for them. But we won't kind of go downscale on our hurdle rates and on the economics. We need to get a certain return on investment. Uh, we have got a, a number of growth prospects in our business. And if we, you know, in license or engage with products, that aren't going to give us a, a significant return on investment, that's basically sucking oxygen from something else that's going to give us a better return, even though we don't yet know what that is, but we're working on those products in the future. Yeah. So I, we've so. walked away from low margin, low margin, kind of virtually, you know, something that might give you single digit type returns. We, we have walked away from dozens and dozens of those types of uh, opportunities. So we could be a bigger company. Uh, our top line could be greater, but I'm not sure we'd be more profitable. You know, that's something that I'm more I, valuable. Yeah. I think that's a quality that is why, you know, you know, bioscientists definitely, uh, and, and I, I hope, I hope you don't get embarrassed when I say, but it's been kind of a culty name amongst our, uh, the microcap universes. You're, you're very strict discipline. You know, you're not just doing deals to do deals. Right. Culty. You know. I, I need the black hat. I know you gotta, yeah, we gotta, gotta induct you into the Freemasons or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, that's a quality that you just really don't find a lot of management teams, right. Is like that ability to stay, stay extremely disciplined, especially when you're, look, you're growing a profitable business. I think you've been, uh, well, I think on the website, it might have to be updated, but uh, on the, uh, the tear sheet, it has uh, since Q3 or, 
up until Q3 2022, uh, it was the 49th consecutive profitable quarter. I'm pretty sure that's continued. Um, up until well, we, we actually just uh, put out our, our Q2 right. um, just yesterday, and uh, it was our 52nd, so 13 consecutive years. We, we came profitable literally in Q2 of 2010 and have been profitable since then. You know, I think most people want to hear, you know, especially, you know, with being a microcap, being in the industry that you are, with all the opportunities being thrown your way, the ability to stay disciplined. I mean, what do you attribute to this kind of profitability longevity at and stay at the size that you are? You know, because everybody and their mother would probably assume like, why didn't Renee just go and raise capital and just like destroy, you know, he's already disciplined all that stuff. So love to hear more about your thoughts on, on managing the company in that sense. Yeah. The short answer, the short answer, which is it's more glib than fact is uh, we're Canadian. eh? Um, So, so I I would say uh, it's a number of factors. I, you know, I think it, it, obviously it, it it comes from leadership of the business, kind of a patient. uh, I describe myself as patiently, impatient or, or or impatiently patient one or the other uh, and if you know you're around our, our, our office from day to day week to week I might be the one or the other depending on the situation and kind of the, what we're dealing with at, at that time so you've got to have some patience you've got to think the long game uh, and it is part of our strategy and we've put it out there like we think long term um, where will our business be in 10 and 15 and 20 years I know that others uh, do talk that and think that as well. Uh, we, you know, we think it, talk it, and live it. That's just the way we are. Um, and so we've we've managed to have enough success. I, I, you know, I, I'll tell you that we. It's been frustratingly slow sometimes. There's no question about it. We there there have been some periods of time where we we are stuck in a range in terms of revenue, and you know, everybody wants the business to grow and thrive and move forward quickly. Um, so it just, it's a little bit of a take a long-term approach and make sure that, you know, I, I, we always imagine what does it look like in the future when we succeed? And we want to make sure that the view will be worth the climb because you can be busy doing all kinds of deals and whatnot, but you might not get to, to uh, where you really want to be. Now, having said that, we've tried some things. Uh, not, ev- not every decision that, uh, that a company makes are good decisions uh, certainly, you know, on assets, we've made some some decisions. We've been licensed and gone ahead with some products that, that haven't worked, um, and that's part of a portfolio management approach as well. So, you just like you're investing, uh, sorry, managing an investment portfolio, we have to manage a portfolio of products. Some are going to be uh, uh, big winners. Some of them are going to do just fine and some of them are not going to be winners and you know you just got to know how to manage that process and how to give enough time and attention uh through that Mm -hmm. i mean how how, over the years like how have you managed you know some of the out because i'm sure you've gotten pressure from stakeholders over the years of like come renee like you're conservative come on man like just do it. Let's go. You know, like, how do you manage? Like, that seems very difficult. I mean, even yeah. even when you ha- you're all aligned and now you're paying a dividend and all this stuff, like to you know, trying yeah. to to have the best interests of shareholders in mind, but at the same time, you know, you're having those stakeholders at the same time being like, "Come on, man! Like, just let's go. Do do this. Do that. The other thing. So how how do you stay? 
I guess calm yeah. under pressure. How do you not give in to some of those pressures? Well, I, I mean, I, I start with well, we have to listen, right? So, so you know, you have to listen and you have to understand where shareholders are coming from. I, you know, we get a, a you know, we get our share of uh, advice from external parties that are maybe uh, potential investors or tire kickers or you know they have a perspective and they can tell us how they can run a pharmaceutical business of our size better than we can. That I, you know, I listen, but I have to discount that advice. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I, but to those people that are shareholders and we have shareholders with our company that have been with us a long time, like, like an inordinately long time. And, uh, uh, and I think we've been blessed by that, right? So we've, they've entrusted us uh, and we have, you know, they know that we've, how we think and how we approach these things. And we built some trust with people. How do we deal with that kind of, you know, come on, shake, rattle and roll, make it go faster um, uh, by listening and making sure that we are doing everything that we can to move the business along. And I guess, you know, I, I use this as a way to describe um, not where we were going, but how we were going to get there. And I, and I, I guess I spent more time sharing it, uh, in the past that I've had to recently, but I, you know, we're pretty confident we're going to get somewhere good. And we would just rather take a little bit longer to get there, but to know that we're going to get there as opposed to the other approach, which is hey, listen, uh, I'm going to the same place you are and I'm going to get there three times faster. And then you start cutting corners and you start taking undue risks and you're, you're not managing the, the other side of the ledger uh, appropriately. And, and, you know, I'm very focused on observing what's gone on in Canadian spec pharma over the last 15 years or so. And there have been many examples of value destruction uh, uh, in the Canadian market. So, you know, and the optics may have looked at maybe that wasn't clearly value destruction, but if you follow the story and the money that went in and what came out when that company finally was bought or sold or, um, it, I, I'll, I'll call that value destruction. And so that's the thing that, you know, I want to grow the business. I want to make sure it's around in 20 years and I don't want to destroy what's been built. So it's a, it is a delicate balance. I bet it's a, you, you know, like I know some of the folks that are, you know, long-term investors in biosign and they're, they're no joke, brilliant investors that, you know, really know their stuff probably all, all, with all due respect, they might even know the business even better than you at this point, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a good chance. You know, you mentioned now, and I was going to save this question for the end, but you, you mentioned it a couple of times how, you know, it's the slow and steady approach to get us there, you know, that the long-term approach to get us to this, you know, you didn't say promised land, but let's all the their promised land. I'm sure is synonymous in your mind as well. For you, what does that look like? What is the promised land for Biosign? Oh boy, um, yeah, there isn't really a destination, you know, because I I do get asked. I said, okay, what's the long term? What's the exit strategy? Where's you know, where does this go, and how do you get? And where's that going? So, you know, to me, it looks like one of two things, uh, and I, and, you know, I. I I openly talk about this internally at, at our at our place as well here. Um, you know, either we're biosign, we're in business, it's 20 years from now. Um, and we are bigger. We've got more assets uh, across the business. We maybe have done some things about geographic uh, expansion, not just a Canada-based business. Um, significant revenue 
consistent uh, profitability and, uh, you know, the trust of stakeholders all across both employees and, and shareholders and, and vendors, partners and suppliers, kind of a, a mentality of being re a reliable partner. Or we do all of those things. And at some point in time, somebody comes along and says, uh, we like what you've done. And we're going to offer you um, uh, some some value that your shareholders and you cannot say no to. So it's it's either literally either of those, as opposed to I mean so how how you know just to differentiate that, as opposed to listen, you know if you're a younger tech company, you know you can you can do the early stage tech, but I can't take that to market. I just don't have the infrastructure the the, the distribution capability, uh, potentially the capital to take it to the next level. And so I've got to sell my technology or sell my company uh, if I'm in that situation. That, that is not the bioscience model. We are not putting um, enormous amounts of capital into R&D, risky R&D. We, we have generally a capital light business model. Uh, we, we engage on assets that are more at the at the you know not no risk stage, but at the lower uh, lower end of the risk continuum, and so it's either you know the, the product is going to succeed in the market or do well or do really well. Uh, it's not a binary yes or no thing, and so for for that reason, you know we're able to um, to just keep working on that process, and it literally it'll be a it'll be a fork in the road, and that fork arrives from time to time. We've had interest. Uh, over the years, and I would say that it's more than just uh, been a couple of times. Very good. That was that was that was more than I, I expected you to actually answer on that question. I appreciate that. Cool. So you know, again, that was supposed to be my last question. So now I feel like I'm going to be ta taking quite a few steps back to even give more <laughs> full picture of the business. You know, because um, you know, like I said, I've interviewed a number of specialty pharma companies now over the last you know. Uh, 10, 11 years, you know, especially since even me, you and I first spoke. And so there's the landscape has definitely broadened. You know, there's now more competition. There's more companies that whether they it's because of bioscience success or or just in general because of the market need, you know, now you're up against other companies now trying to get these same licenses, right? And bring yep. it under uh, to win those contracts. So, you know, how, what, what does the competitive landscape look like now? And how are you still staying competitive in order to win some of those, you know, most desired contracts? Yeah. Um, it's interesting that, you know, you could, you could, you know, look at it and say, oh, there's more players. I would say there were at various points in time, there have been quite a few players. They have come and gone, um, and so they've come and gone in different ways. There have been you know, spectacular flameouts, and some of them are just have been kind of merged away into uh, into another entity. And so it's always been competitive for us. I don't think I don't feel like it's more competitive today. Uh, I, in, in a way, based on some dynamics in the marketplace, I would say it's. It's certainly not more competitive. It's maybe slightly less competitive than it might have been two or three years ago. Um, you know, I, I don't have any hard data to give you there, but I can just say that's perception-wise. Um, and, you know, we're, 
it, depending on the size of asset and the opportunity we're working on, we're, we're not necessarily, you know, competing with all the names that you see when you think of Canadian spec pharma. And, um, in our situation is, is interesting. I mean, we're well capitalized. We have a strong balance sheet. And I think some of the others, um, that you may be thinking of or referring to, you say more competitive, they, they, they may be in a situation where they've got to kind of, they've got to manage things a little bit differently for some period of time while they, they manage to a higher interest rate environment, as an example. So, you know, we, we stay active. Uh, we do both. We have, a fair bit of inbound interest, what I'll call people that are companies that are reaching out to us to assess whether we have an interest in assets that they've got, whether we'd like to take them on for the Canadian market. And then the flip side of that is we have a proactive program where, yes, we go to the industry events where you would expect us to be. Yes, we do that. And on in addition to that, we are combing to look for opportunities. But we don't kid ourselves. We know that it, there's a high likelihood uh, that there'll be others at the other end of the deal uh, that would be looking to com essentially compete with us for the deal. Uh, we, we know that. Um, that and that's, you know, part of the, well, geez, why don't you guys go faster? Well, we some there's some things that we work on, you know, for months, you know, longer than months, um, that they fall out of bed for whatever reason. Sometimes the partner isn't going to go ahead with it. Sometimes they get clinical trial data that says they're not going to go pop. They're not going to get past their phase three, there have, been, there have been plenty of those situations. And then sometimes uh, we get pipped at the finish line and those things happen as well. There, it's, there, there are examples I can think of where we got pipped at the finish line and it worked out that I'm, you know, I'm not now talking about things from four and five years ago, that sometimes the best deal you do is the one you don't do. Yep. I'd love to hear an example for one of the, I mean, it, as much as you're willing to tell us of, you know, maybe some, some of the new products and the newer licenses that come into the company, you know, what, what those, um, those experiences were like and how you were able to get them over the finish line. Yeah. You know, uh, we've got an, 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 a new product. We literally just announced it a couple of weeks ago in a folic. Um, it's for women with uh, a polycystic ovary syndrome. And uh, that's an example of one that the partner can really uh, appreciate our focus on women's health. So we have a women's health business, although I don't think of us as a women's health company. We have a, a women's health business and we have strong relationships with, um, with healthcare professionals and we understand the channel and, you know, we can create communication and, and commercialize products successfully in that area. So I think, when we're talking to, to uh, partners for those types of assets, you know, there's a there's a logic. I mean, oh yeah, these guys they know the market, they can do it. Um, what's also interesting uh, is you know our product list isn't a mile long. Um, there are other companies that you might think of or consider for the Canadian market that have a pretty long product list, and you, you might start thinking about how will how will I know that my product, my asset when I license it to you is going to get the time and attention it needs in the marketplace. And so that, that works in our favor as well. Um, and then sometimes it's just an assessment of where, you know, what, what are the, what's that expression of one man's, one man's treasure is another man's, what, what, you know, sometimes we see treasure where others don't see it and vice versa. That happens as well. Yeah. 
Very good. All right. So another question I want to ask you has to do with kind of industry tailwinds, headwinds, you know, one one headwind in particular, and and this also has to do with you know maybe some of the risks that the uh, that might be facing the company. I know down here in the U.S., it's you know obviously drug pricing. Everyone's very much worried about that. Is that a similar concern that you think about in uh, at Bioscience? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there have been several examples of of product opportunities where we thought the product uh, made a lot of sense for the Canadian market. The patient uh, was not well served. The doctors weren't well served. But we, uh, the the pricing environment in Canada is such that they've just gone through a process to, to make modifications, and that uh, that through that process, you know, there are limits on what what we can uh, charge for a product, and and the payer. There's a payer price and payer, and those are different regulators or different parties, stakeholders. Um, and but in the case of price, absolutely, what price could we obtain? We just had to back out of certain situations where we where we knew that we couldn't uh, obtain a price in the market that would give us a sufficient return in, on investment over time. Uh, so that is uh, certainly an issue. The payer environment similar. Uh, you know, in Canada, the healthcare system is has some significant differences than than the U.S. And uh, one of the significant ones for a business like ours is that. Um, that the, the governments are significant payers. So they, they run the, typically, I'm not all, but for the most part, run the hospital systems. Uh, they mandate budgets to those hospital systems, hospitals, and then the hospitals are tasked with managing budget. Um, and then, uh, so the healthcare delivery is funded by governments, your GP, your specialist funded, there's a, a relation, business relationship between the healthcare professional and government. When it comes to pharmaceuticals, uh, it, it's, the, it's the same, uh, but there are certain patient populations generally based on age, not exclusively, but generally based on age, where if you are uh, 65 plus, you are, you're on basically a government reimbursed drugs. Uh, and then private employers pay for the rest. That would be similar to the, to the US system. I think there's a greater portion of, of government payer where the government is the payer and they decide what they're going to pay and which drugs they're going to cover and which ones they're going to. so that is there is a fair bit of complexity there and we have to take that into account when we're evaluating an asset for the Canadian absolutely I mean it sounds like there were a few that seemed like layups maybe four years ago that you know as a result of some of the the new regulation now became a little more a little bit yes. more difficult Absolutely. Yeah, we've well, there's been a, a few examples of that now in the last uh, when now that the, the new regulations or guidelines have come. But, Absolutely. I mean, does has, with the new guidelines, and new regulation, has that affected some of the, the products current are, are currently under the, the biosign no. umbrella? OK, no, has not. No. Got it. So then what let's let's also talk about some of the tailwinds for the industry. I mean, you know, you outline them for me, you know, uh, growing industry. Tell, tell us like what what are some of the things that will result in some growth for Biosign? Let's just say organically and then from an opportunity for more in licensing. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're the healthcare business. Uh, there's a lot of complexity, but you know, let's face it, there's a lot of money spent on healthcare, whether it is uh, by, in, by governments or uh, payers, uh, employer 
uh, benefit plans, individuals. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a big market. Uh, and I, I'm not going to tell you, oh, it's a, mess, it's a massive market. How could you miss? But, you know, if you contrast that to other markets that ebb and flow, uh, in, the spend in, in healthcare is, is, is certainly a, a large market and is continually attracting additional investment. So that is, you know, is that a tailwind per se? That is a dynamic of the market, which actually makes it attractive. And, you know, we talked also earlier about um, some of the challenges with regulators, FDA, Health Canada. So as much as uh, I will um, complain or observe about challenges that we're having with the regulator, because it is such a highly regulated business, if you know how to manage through that labyrinth and that process, and you have some momentum in the business, that is an advantage. If you and I decided tomorrow we wanted to be uh, an office furniture manufacturer, notwithstanding the fact that I couldn't make anything to save my life, but we could, if we put our minds to it, we could go into the office furniture business next Tuesday. Sure. But you can't, you can't just say, hey, well, I, I'd like to distribute pharmaceutical products. I like, let's get a pitter patter. Let's get out of here. It just it doesn't. So those barriers are actually a positive. That's not per se a headwind, but it, it certainly is, um, it is a, a positive for the business. Uh, the other is the, the nature, like we're, you know, we're focused on brands. We're not, um, you know, generic products play a role in the marketplace. There's an important role. Uh, that they play in the marketplace, I suppose, um, if you're a payer to, to appreciate that. We are focused on brands, and, and uh, by doing so, we think we can create a moat around uh, our, our brands and our products, and as long as we're providing value, that's a really important part of the equation. But if we're providing value and people do... Uh, gravitate to brands or they still do. They're sticky. Not all the business, but brands are sticky in the business. And I think that gives us a headwind where we've got some momentum. Um, and that's uh, a positive. Does that necessarily flow through to giving us additional opportunities for in-licensing? I'd say that last piece that you, with your question, I, I would say this. Um, I find it quite interesting, the range of innovation that takes place with pharmaceutical and healthcare products. It's very broad. There is, it's constant. And sometimes the innovation is subtle and sometimes it's, you know, really literally life-changing for people. Um, you know, more of the uh, biotech, you know, new discovery, new chemical entity. But some of that innovation on that in, uh, continuum can be pretty fundamental. Uh, the one thing that I it never ceases to amaze me is how there's just been this kind of constant cycle of doing things better with products. Sometimes it's not a new chemical entity. It's not a new compound. It's just a better way to deliver it or a more convenient delivery mechanism. Um, and so that I think is, uh, I feel for us is, is a tailwind in terms of opportunities to find new assets to in license. Like it's not like we start, when you start, you start with a hundred opportunities. And when you get to year eight, there's only 20 left. It's we've got more in our funnel today than we have ever had. Got it. 
That's, you know, I think that's all, everything that we went through is a great overview and, and, and deep real look at the business as well as the industry itself, or at least I hope so. I'm sure there are folks, I, I apologize. There's people that are very well, much more uh, even knowledgeable than uh, well more uh, knowledgeable about Biosent than even me, you know? So um, I, hopefully I did y'all proud, you know, and uh, getting into it, but, you know, now getting into some of these questions that I like to ask everybody on here, you know, the, the first one being, and this is probably my favorite, you know, when let's say there's some folks that are new to the Biosent story, which is, Let's just say, or even folks that have been following for a while, maybe still just don't get it, right? You know, what what would you say are some of the, uh, what, what do investors still get most confused about or some of the frequently asked questions that you get regarding biosign? Um, I think, um, I think the, the notion that you, as you're adding products, you just, you've got a base, uh, let's say a number of people in your business in a, in a functional area, but especially in what I'll call customer facing field sales or, or marketing personnel and say, yeah, well, you got all those people, you just add products in there. It's kind of like a, a manufacturing facility, you've built the facility and you just can, you can pump more widgets. Out. Well, in a, in a business like ours, we have to invest at the front end of the curve to, to build up those brands that I talked about. So we've got to invest in, in, understanding the market, understanding the uh, therapeutic area. We've got to invest, obviously, in how we're going to position the product. And there's a number of things where we're investing well in advance of revenue, not necessarily product development. People are very familiar. And I don't, I don't think um, my, my observation is it's well appreciated and understood how much investment is occurring pre-revenue, early revenue. Uh, but then when the, when the switch flips, so that's the one kind of thing that isn't well appreciated. The other, though, is when the switch switch flips, how you go from, you know, your your spend, your revenue crosses your spend line, and then it flips around the profitability and how that in aggregate, when you have multiple of such uh, things going on simultaneously, how that then can flow through nicely to the bottom line. Uh, I think people generally understand the concept of that. But in, in our case, it looks like, geez, it's going slow or what's going on. But, you know, that if you're doing one product at a time and that's all that's featured, that's a little easier to do when you're doing multiple products. Um, then, you know, we're investing. We're investing in building awareness, driving trial and trust in those products. And that, that takes some time. Absolutely. You know, my, my next question for you here, this is going to be one of these corporate questions because I'm sure this is something that's been asked many, many times, especially probably from, you know, non-Canadian investors. And I think you already know where I'm going with this is because uh, I'm sure you've been approached by every one of the firms out there that do this, but, you know, just only on the TSX venture, RX on the venture, been that way for yeah. 10, 12 plus years, not longer, you yeah. know, what what's been the thought process to you know one stay on the TSX venture? Nothing wrong with it. People can find yeah. it. So there's, there's nothing wrong with it. But yeah. what's been the thought process on you know why staying just on the TSX venture? Not even just going to the big board in Canada, going on TSX, let alone getting like an OTC listing and then you know potentially uplisting from there. You know, love to hear your thoughts. So I'm I'm very really measured because I don't want to offend anybody. In, in, in an answer to this one. Well, I'll say this, like fundamentally, uh, 
when we think about our strategy as a company moving forward, and by the way, this isn't what we think today. This is what we thought for, for a long time. We, we want our listing to support the strategy of our company. And if we are a capital consumer and we have to be in the market uh, raising capital, then, um, then you know, the, the where you're listed um, may matter more. So I'm going to, that's the argument for, well, geez, you should have a listing where you have greater exposure where people might not have exclusions where they can invest. So I would say um, that our listing first and foremost should support our strategy. We have a capital like business model. We're cash generating. We've bought back, I think we spent $16 million in buying back shares as opposed to uh, raising new fresh capital. We have no debt on the balance sheet. So our first, our first capital that we would access will be debt capital. It won't be equity capital. So that's the kind of the short the short answer, believe it or not, to that. Then the, the rest of it is, you know, we've qualified for a TSX listing a long time ago, like many years ago. We those things come with additional costs, which we don't think necessarily add value to the business and to our share. Um, both internal costs and external costs, and uh, and there is a progression, obviously, and then, and you know, so yes, an uplisting to the TSX, you know, in theory, gets you more eyeballs and gets you with different investors. Uh, I was astounded, have been astounded over the years, to have learned about which companies and which institutional investors owned Biosign. I've been surprised, and you know, people that are managing significant amounts of capital. And I was shocked. So apparently what I understood to be true wasn't true at all, actually. Big names that you would recognize both on both sides of the border uh, have been investors at various points in time. So um, I, I don't think it's been a hindrance per se. Um, yes, we are. You, you talked about us kind of well-known against a certain segments of microcap investing, I suppose. Um, but, you know, Microcaps are getting ignored these days. I think you've, you know, <laughs> in Canada, they use the, the phrase uh, small caps, small caps, uh, U.S. microcap. You know, we're getting ignored anyways. So it doesn't matter where we're listed. It's, it's a little bit of a glib answer. I, I understand that. But I think at the end of the day, what investors are interested in is the business, the concept of the business, the opportunity in the business management management's approach and what i have found and you know because we do have institutional owners that have owned us a long time is that if they understand what we're up to where we're going a feel for how we're going to get there and confidence that we can we can keep building they don't really care where we're listed um you know that said i'll probably be on nasdaq next week i don't know like it just i you know i it's unlikely at this stage that we would ever go after a, a, a you know, full, fully compliant U.S. listing. Uh, we have looked at a couple of times over the last uh, number of years at uh, at the foreign issuer exemptions that exist for uh, for the U.S. market, and those things we, we may do something with that at some point. 
For sure. And for full disclosure, Renee was kidding. He's not, Biosign's not no, going to be on NASDAQ no, next week. No, Just no, making, no, sure, no. making sure that's clear no. for anybody listening. They're Thank not you. going yeah. on NASDAQ next week. Quality joke, but not happening. So, Thank uh, you for clarifying. Yeah, just yeah. make it, hey, you never know. Somebody might yeah. be like, wait, was he kidding? Uh, yeah. But um, no, I, and you know what? I actually, I, I assume that was probably, you know, your your answer when it came to that question, because you're right. At the end of the day, like, and this is an interesting point in general when you're thinking about microcaps. Well, one in the short term, just speaking the last 24 months, like, I mean, microcaps yeah. have both gotten killed and the sentiment has just been absolutely atrocious. You know, so, I mean, at the same time, there's been a lot of investors that have seen that as opportunity to load up yeah. on names that they absolutely love. But the the second point that I think is probably the most important is that, you know, if you're running, you know, the quality investors, they invest in businesses, they invest in good quality companies, you know, they where and if, if they like it, at least nowadays, they'll figure it out, you know, they'll figure yeah. out how to how to get how to own it. You know, and yeah. so, you know, I think those are two very good points. That's not to say that there aren't some of those benefits to being on the big board, yeah. especially as I, you mature, being an OTC, you know, again, some, you know, making it somewhat easier for maybe yeah. more of the lay investor that, you know, isn't as hardcore as some of the folks that we know. But, yeah. you know, it, it you're right. At the end of the day, like you run a good business, you know, you hit all the metrics that, you know, most investors should be looking at for a business they want to own for the long term. You know, they'll find you. And that's, I totally agree with that sentiment 100%. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would, you know, we've got some European shareholders as well. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know how you buy, you know, if you're in Frankfurt or in, how do you buy Biosign? I have no idea how that works. Um, and yeah, I, I, I try not to speak in absolutes. Like, I don't want to make, make it sound like, oh, yeah, we don't need it. Like, forget it. It just, that's our thing. I explained our thinking, not our, like, our absolute point of view is like, never do it. Um, but yeah, we we have for the most part been more focused on on our, our both our time management bandwidth on building the business as opposed to kind of where we're listed. Uh, for sure, I, I listen. It's just one of those questions I've always been curious about with you guys, and yeah. I just I you know now that I got you captive here for an hour, I figured I'd ask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, the um, other thing, you know, we talked about uh, micro cap and and small cap in Canada you know, just getting crushed over the last couple of years, biotech has been in there too, right? So we're, we're getting hit by that shrapnel as well. So that's what it feels like to me. My observation is, you know, though we are not a biotech, um, you know, we, we suffer from that. I think the, the, the investor interest has gone out for the most part, out of spec pharma, uh, out of biotech and out of micro cap, small cap and cap. So, those are that's a fact, and so we're okay. We're we're just going to carry on, and when all of that the tide comes back in again, we'll be here. We'll be bigger. We'll be better. Hundred percent. All right. So you know, Renee, I've taken up a lot of your time today, and I know I'm sure we're going to do some updates, you know, down the road and whatnot, you know. But to close this out here. You know, we we you already kind of talked about your vision for the company. Where you you know all the different roads that could be available in the it, you know in the near or long term um, that folks can go and listen back to our earlier part of the interview. So I'll close this out with this. You know, been a public company CEO for well over a decade now. It's not an easy job at all. You know, so how, how would you rate your experience? Do you enjoy being public company CEO? How's this experience been for you? I've enjoyed it. It's been, um, 
it's been a one long learning curve that literally uh, keeps going every day. So from that perspective, uh, it's been a fantastic journey. That's not all about being a public company CEO, my, my view, is it's been about being a CEO and and having to uh, adapt from bootstrapping a business and you know having board meetings around a desk and to to evolving the business to where we are now with a sight line for it to be significantly different even in you know three or five years. So that process has been immensely challenging, um, but I've really enjoyed it because I keep learning. There's always a new challenge. There's always a new issue. And yes, you know, there are some days I wish that everything went smoothly. Um, that would make, uh, you know, for that week, uh, life better. I would say that, that uh, I like the challenge. It's fun to build. I'm, I'm a builder and we're building. Renee, we're there. You know, um, with that, where can our audience go and find more information on Biosign? Uh, Biosign.com, B-I-O-S-Y-E-N-T.com. Uh, you may also go through the torture of getting uh, information from our new CDAR Plus. Um, it's not our, not Bioscience, the Canadian disclosure framework. I find uh, it's been very frustrating for people. I'm sure you've encountered that. Uh, but yeah, and then each of our brands has has an individual brand website as well, if you want to find out. And the other thing that I would just uh, leave people with is that every quarter we do a, a presentation, kind of a, an update on the business presentation. It's voiceover PowerPoint slides. It's usually about 15 minutes. And that's, that's both linked in every quarterly press release and also you can find it. Very good. Well, Renee, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. I look forward to our next chat. Great. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party product services or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.